Welcome back to the San Francisco Giants edition of For the Fans, By the Fans, a podcast where we bring you your weekly dose of all things San Francisco Giants baseball from the fans' perspective. I'm a lifelong Giants fan and your host, Benjamin Shapiro. As the Giants sit one game over 500 for the first time since Ty Block beat Clayton Kershaw on opening day and two games ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers in the standings, we welcome back our friend, Andre Anderson. Andre is an e-commerce and digital marketing expert that grew up in Pasadena and now resides in San Francisco. And while he is a devoted Dodgers fan, we are happy to welcome him back to the For the Fans, By the Fans podcast. But before we spend the next 30 minutes talking about how it's been 30 years since the Dodgers have won a World Series championship, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you on behalf of our friends at Fanatics. Fanatics is the global leader in licensed sports merchandise. They have the world's largest collection of official sports apparel from all the leagues, teams, and players that you love. So, if you're a Dodgers fan, and you want that you Darvish t-shirt to commemorate the four runs he gave up in an inning and two-thirds in Game 7 of the World Series, it's on sale for a reasonable $17.99. So when you buy your Fanatics gear, either mockingly for your Dodgers friends or to support the Giants, and you go to ftfbtf.com fanatics, they'll kick us a couple of bucks to help with the production of this show. That said, Andre, welcome back to the pod. Are you ready for 30 minutes of Dodger mockery? I cannot wait. Can you hear my voice? It's decidedly less perky and optimistic than the last time. So on a scale of one to five, where five is I just bet my house that we're winning the World Series, and one is I'm shitting my pants. How do you feel about the Dodgers' chances this season? How about a negative two? (laughs) (laughs) Clean up aisle five. Yes, dude. I'm totally, I'm not giving up or throwing in the towel, but there is grave reason for concern with the boys in blue. And I think I brought this up in the last pod in that we somehow forget that this team, that stadium called Phone Booth Park, you know, AT&T, Pac Bell, whatever you want to call it, they're our rivals. And yet we come up here and roll over. I don't know why. We talked about last time how in the Tommy Lasorda era, that would have been unacceptable. And yet we lost three out of four. And I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time talking about our wonderful bullpen, which has been the core of my anxiety, but really the core of how we're not doing that well and second to last place right now. So in the last series, the actual score between the four games was 24 to 24, but the Giants won three of four. To me, that's what really sticks out. Obviously, there was game three, which was a big win in terms of run differential for the Dodgers. I think the score was 15 to six, but the Giants eked out a couple of closer games, and then the Dodgers put it on the Giants in the one win. The good news is, at least for us, we have a one-game lead in the season series, and we're a little bit ahead in the standings. Well, that game last Friday, the Dodgers are up by two runs. And then I don't know what Baez has on Dave Roberts. Maybe he has like photos or maybe some Instagram posts that have been suppressed of Dave Roberts in lingerie, riding a donkey in Tijuana or something like that. But why the hell is Dave Roberts rolling out Baez continually? Now, Baez had a solid two and a two-thirds innings against the D-backs and helped us split that series there, which I was shocked with. But he single-handedly killed our opportunity to secure the win last Friday, which I was hoping for a split, let alone a series win. And that has yet to happen with you guys. The Evan Longoria three home run bomb to put the Giants ahead in the last game of the series 
take the series three games to one probably made my week, if not my month. And you mentioned the bullpen. I want to ask you a little bit about why the Dodgers are losing. Is this a World Series hangover? Is there a problem with the team? What's causing them to underperform so dramatically? I'd have to say, I feel like the last three years, that the middle relief or the setup relief has been suspect. And they worked their way through it during that streak last summer that we all remembered. I mean, they went like, what, 59 and 12 or something ridiculous, you know, from like June to early August before they went on another crappy streak of losing. So it was like a good streak balanced with a bad streak. But what it did expose was our bullpen. And it's always been like our strength. But I will say last year, we were going through some of the same issues, well, principally with Baez, but with our setup in long relief. Yet over the offseason, we lost Brandon Morrow, who was incredible in the postseason, and we just let him go to the Cubs. Now, I know that there was the luxury tax issue that we had to contend with, which is why we couldn't sign him, but I mentioned this in the last pod. We have a bloated bench and outfield off the bench, so I could care less about more outfielders and would love to see us put some more money into that relief, man, because Kenley Jansen ain't doing it for me. By the way, I'm still getting a lot of heat from my friends who did listen to the last pod about trading Kershaw. And I stand by that. Like Kershaw has been great. He's my all-time favorite Dodgers. But uh, I want a World Series. And I'll do whatever it takes to get one. So if it means getting you know, a mad bum for him, great. I'm looking to do the same thing with Kenley. He's still going to be our closer for the next couple of years. But we need to have like an understudy because he ain't got it. His velocity is way down. So what's interesting to me is you didn't mention Tony Watson, who was a departure from the Dodgers and went to the Giants, and he has been absolutely nails for the Giants. 0.66 ERA, getting out lefties and righties, 13 innings pitched. He's only given up one run. To me, you talk about your bullpen issues. The loss of Tony Watson flipping over from the Dodgers to the Giants has to hurt. And he's really been a big contributor for our bullpen. So I just want to say thank you for that. That was a deliberate omission. I could care less about anyone who turns coat and not only goes to the Giants, but then does well after being with the Dodgers. I still think Morrow is a bigger loss, but we'll give Watson some time. I I don't think that was as big a loss as Morrow. Uh, Morrow was definitely lights out in the playoffs last year. He had a couple of or three bad innings during the World Series that weren't entirely his fault, but I was really looking for him to come back this year. So you're asking me why the Dodgers are losing. I think it's principally that bullpen. But then you look at like uh, Rich Hill. Here comes another bad blister, Rich. What are you doing, Rich? What's up with the blisters? You had it with us. You had it with the A's, but he's on the DL. I'm mispronouncing his name. Is it uh, Hyunjun Ryu? Mm-hmm. He actually went out last night against the D-backs. So we're getting hit by the injury bug. And of course, your boy, Yasiel Puig, he's out. Our star outfield of the future, Andrew Tolls, he's out. Logan Forsythe, he's out. But the biggest one that crushed me this week was the loss of uh, Corey Seager due to elbow issues. Someone going back to last year, and I now understand he's going to have to go through Tommy John surgery. And he's going to be out through maybe even the beginning of next year. And then on top of that, we don't have big red Justin Turner at third base playing either. So we have a lot of folks who are out. And I don't know what compelled Dave Roberts to think in his wildest imagination. He's still predicting that we're going to win the division. He's crazy. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And my response to that is, wah, (laughs) wah. Madison Bumgardner out, Jeff Samarja out, Johnny Cueto out, Hunter Pence out, Panic out, Will Smith out, Melanson out. I'm sorry, two games ahead of 500, Crimey A. River. 
I mean, out of that whole list, I think all but two of those guys are scrubs. So Madison fucking <laughs> Bumgarner. Quite true for. I give my left arm for it. Pun intended. For Madison Bumgarner. You would actually give <laughs> Clayton Kershaw's left arm for Madison Bumgarner. I would it, only if it meant a World Series. And for my fans, my growing list of fans who listened to the last pod, I got a lot of heat for that. And I, and I will say it again. If it means a World Series, absolutely. I think that puts you in the sell your soul to the devil group, but I won't go too far. So pop quiz for you. Who has more hits this season? Yasiel Puig or Gregor Blanco? Oh, I mean, it's a set of question. Uh, Okay, Blanco? Gregor Blanco has 18 hits and is batting 300. Yasiel Puig has 17 hits and is batting a buck 97. What's up with your boy? I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. I want the wild horse back. It's kind of like the whole Batman and Joker thing, you know, Batman needs a Joker. Joker needs a Batman. Of course, Yashiel Puig's a Batman in this scenario. And Bummy, old Maddie, is the Joker. But I think he needs his boy. Maybe Madison Bumgarner needs to come back out. Maybe the next time we play each other, which I don't think is going to happen until, what, June or July? You know, maybe, like, old Maddie needs to be his little petulant self, throw at Puig, and maybe that will wake Puig up and he'll bat above the Mendoza line. But maybe they need each other because it didn't happen in this year for Puig. I understand how Puig might need Madison Bumgarner Gardner to get motivated, but Madison Bumgardner does not need Yasiel Puig under any circumstances. What he needs yeah, he does. is a healthy right hand and a baseball. <laughs> he needs a man. He needs him. And your boy Maddie needs to do something. I can tell you right now, he's not going to go in the Hall of Fame at this rate. He's got those three rings. He'll come back this year. Maybe he'll go off-roading again and hurt himself yet again, which I'd be stoked for. Only if he's a giant. If he's a Dodger, I don't want that to happen. But actually, knowing our luck, we would get him, and he'd pull a Jason Schmidt and you know, bilk us for having many more millions of dollars and be useless. But I think deep down, Madison is in love with Wig. Let's get into Madison Bumgarner's Hall of Fame career potential. What do you think is the standard for a pitcher getting into the Hall of Fame? Is it wins, strikeouts? What's your standard? I'm not going off of my standard. I'm going off of what's been the standard historically. It's like, I think it's your wins. And typically, it's you're in the conversation for sure if you have for longevity. So 300 wins has usually been the benchmark. If not, it's your winning percentage because Sandy Koufax didn't have 300 wins. But he had a high winning percentage. He did have some rings. And he had a hell of a lot of strikeouts. So same thing with Bob Gibson. I don't think he had 300 wins, but it was somewhere north of 200. Don Drysdale, Hall of Fame Dodgers pitcher, 209 career wins with a 2.95 ERA. He had nine all-star game appearances. So let's use him as a benchmark. The average Hall of Fame pitcher has 250 wins and a 2.99 ERA. So I was the category I threw out there, like at least north of 200 wins. Yeah. If you get 300 wins, which honestly is not a good benchmark anymore because of the way that relievers are used, the wins for the starting pitchers are diminished because relievers come in, you get specialists more often. Let's see. Madison Bumgarner, so far, he's been pitching for nine years. He has 104 wins and a 3.01 ERA. Oh, boy. So hypothetically speaking, Madison Bumgarner pitches for, let's say, eight more years. He has a career of 17 years, and he averages around 15 wins a season and keeps his ARA static at just about three. That puts him in the Don Drysdale territory. I would say it'd be fair if he achieves 200 wins, has a longevity, 
of sustained excellence with those rings, then absolutely. I don't see that. I see that hillbilly getting hurt again. <laughs> I don't know what he does in his own time, but it's usually, it usually doesn't sound like it's any good, which really makes me want to rethink this trade. But if, again, I just, I'll just take a ring. I'm a whore like that. I think the answer to your question is, what does he do in the offseason? He wrestles cows and pigs to the ground with his bare hand. <laughs> he carries giant logs over his head. He's country strong. That's what he does in the offseason. He rides dirt bikes. He doesn't care. He's Madison Bumgarner, snot rocket. You know, you know what I really think? I think it's almost like that opening scene at Cape Fear where he has this makeshift shrine and he's like pumping iron and on one fist tattooed hate, the other fist tattooed love. And he has this shrine of Yasiel Puig and that's what's motivating him. But I don't know if it's going to be motivation enough to win 15 games on average over the next eight years to be a uh, Hall of Famer. Because I'll put it to you this way. Do you think Tim Lincecum is Hall of Fame worthy? No, I don't think Tim Lincecum had the prime of his career be long enough. I think that if any of the Giants' three primary pitchers during what has been the World Series era for us get in, it's Bumgarner because they were a World Series champion right as he arrived. So his career, assuming it's long enough, is going to start with world championships, and now it's about duration and consistent excellence. Out of all those pitchers that you had, Lincecum, what you have, Bumgarner, and Kane. I was going to say with the other hillbilly from the South, Kane. Which of those three, I mean, I don't think Kane's Hall of Fame worthy either. What happened to Kane frequently is he got caned. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the Giants would lose one nothing when he would pitch. So early on in his career, the Giants didn't have a bullpen. The team wasn't very good. He was sort of the beginning of that era. And as he was early in his career, he would go pitch six shutout innings, be done. They wouldn't have any bullpen. So their best chance for him to win was to leave him out there and he'd give up five runs in the seventh or the eighth inning. So his ERA would be bloated, but there was a remarkable consistency of him being dominant in the beginning of the game, getting to the point where he clearly should have been taken out. They just didn't have any other options and they were trying to teach him to go later in the inning. So that affected his stats. I think he was the most consistent and his stats don't tell the story of how dominant he was. I think Tim Lincecum was the best pitcher I've ever seen at his apex. And Madison Bumgarner is going to have the best career and has had the best postseason success. So pick your poison. No disagreement there. I actually thought Munsekam was like scary. Scary good in that stretch. And if he just, if he kept that going for another six, seven, eight years, I mean, an argument can be made it'd be you know, very much like a Koufax kind of stretch where Koufax was in it for like eight, nine years but was a badass, right? And he won those rings. So we'll see about old boy Matty, but I have to ask you this. Like I did last time, I'm flipping it on you now, Mr. Ben. I'm ready. What's up with the schedule makers this year? It's kind of taking the allure and the novelty of the rivalry by stacking our series. With the, like How many games we played against each other so far? So there was the four-game opening series, which we split. There was supposed to be a three-game series, which one game was rained, rained out. out. I remember that. Yeah. And we split that. So we basically split the first six games, and then the Giants won three out of four with the doubleheader. Right. I just feel like it's like too early. You know, spread it out a little bit more. So I don't have the schedule memorized. Again, much of the chagrin of a couple of my friends who are huge giant honks who I'm sure will be listening to this podcast like, I have a life. I'm an adult. I don't memorize the schedule, but I'm okay. I'm okay with like this early tilt. What do you think your odds are 
for like the usual sustained East Coast road trip. I mean, because I think we've been beating each other up in division early on. You guys took the series against the Nationals. What are your thoughts on the National League Central and the East? I'll say two things. One, whose podcast is this? <laughs> and two, who cares about the schedule? We kicked your ass. <laughs> I'm trying to do everything I can to deflect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's get back to business. 20% of the season is in the books. You guys are a couple games under 500. You're saying that it's the middle relief that's the problem why you're losing. Not pointing fingers at the starting pitching, which is why your middle relief is pitching. I'm curious to know, are Dodgers fans turning on Dave Roberts, or is it just looking at the players? It's hard to tell when you read the comments of any blog or posting anywhere, so I'm kind of throwing that out. And need I remind any of my Dodger fan friends that we had Don Mattingly, that fool, was our manager for the longest time and talked his way. He negotiated against himself. I work in sales, and I manage a bunch of sales folks. And the number one thing we do to prevent ourselves from losing deals is to make sure you don't negotiate against ourselves. And I feel like Bruce Boshi loved it when we came either to town or when he came down to LA to play good old Donnie baseball. Great player, awful manager, especially in-game management. And Boshi would play him like a fiddle. He was so dumb. So I can't put the blame on Roberts. I would hope he would learn some of the things that he saw over the last two seasons, particularly in the postseason. But I don't know. He is culpable for rolling out Baez on a regular basis. But I think overall, I I do like his approach and tactics, especially his overall strategy. I guess his tactics can be questioned based on what I just said about Baez. So I did contradict myself a little bit, but I have to say we're definitely thin on the starting rotation. I mean, Kershaw is not Pete Kershaw. He's been carrying this team for God knows how long. He's like playoff Kershaw. Well, right now he is, (laughs) but he's been known to like either hide injuries early in the season. And if he is, put him on the shelf and park him until the second half. But Alex Woods is solid number two. Maeda has been strong. Ryu was good until he got hurt yesterday. And then Hill's dealing with his blister for the eighth time in two years. And then we got that Bueller kid who came up from the farm as well. So one thing I'm advocating is that we bring in these strong arms from the farm. You know, do what the Royals did a couple of years ago after they got shellacked by you guys in the World Series. The year that the Royals won... They brought in a good steady stream from that farm system and built out a really good middle to long relief rotation or platoon to balance out their starters. And I think the Dodgers should do that, given how strong our farm system is with uh, pitching. There are very few things in the world that provide me with more joy than asking you, have you soured on your manager And the answer is, well, anybody's better than Don Mattingly. We should give up on all the pitchers that drove us to the best record in the majors last year. Let's just call up whoever the F we have in the minors because I've had it with these guys. We're 13 and 16. It's a 44% win percentage. Sell, sell, sell. No, no, I'm saying that. I'm saying, well, actually, we're 14 and 17, number one. Sorry. Number two, I said, think about it. Mattingly was a joke. He was a clown. Number three, I think we have a solid to decent starting pitching rotation. We got some holes, a couple injuries. I'm just saying for the the relief is where we are screwing up. That's just the way the modern game is played. You've got a starting pitch that can go five, possibly six innings. Then you bring in your platoon of relievers. Our current set of relievers suck. That's the only thing I would change. Just hit the reset button on the relievers. 
It's just the relievers. It has nothing to do with the fact that, I don't know, your rivals have hit more homers than you. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're blaming injuries. You're blaming the bullpen. You're blaming the manager. (laughs) It's a World Series hangover, my friend. That's why the Giants went even years, is that after you get far in the postseason, it affects you in the next year. And unfortunately for you guys, you didn't get to the mountaintop. And I think the Dodgers will come back eventually. I've never been scared of their two through five pitch. I don't know what happened last year where all of a sudden everybody became Sandy Koufax, but the second half of your starting rotation to me feels thin. They don't feel like solid number two, three, four, or five pitchers. And honestly, the Giants, I feel like on the flip side, all we have is four, five, six, seven pitchers. We've lost the beginning of our rotation. So it went from us being a couple games under 500 to all of a sudden we win three series in a row couple games over 500 and and now everybody's singing a different tune birds are chirping sun is out dodgers are losing it's a beautiful game no you know what hopefully i'll be a guest again later in the season when we have a larger sample set of data to pull from i will say that there's always a trade you know we get the trade deadline it should be interesting between now and like july what the dodgers do do we bring in manny machado since we don't have uh, Corey Seager, I would prefer to see more pitching brought in, but I think Alex Wood was nails last year and Maeda, good. I don't know how Rich Hill was able to eke out those wins either because he's like made out of porcelain, but I still think it's a relief, man. You think you can get you Darvish back? Oh God, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Jason Schmidt, our Trojan horse is available. Oh God, I hate him too. Hate is a strong word, but as I mentioned on the last pod, it's perfectly fine when thinking about the Giants. Hate in the baseball sense of the world. Yes, yes. The only appropriate thing to hate is your rival in baseball. And before I let you go, I want to introduce a new tradition to the For the Fans, By the Fans, San Francisco Giant podcast. We are introducing, in honor of you, our friend Andre, the new Tommy Lasorda sound effect. (laughs) So every time someone says Tommy Lasorda, you get to hear... (laughs) So before we let you go, Andre, give us a Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda. (laughs) And that's your first ever Tommy Lasorda official for the fans by the fans sound effect. (laughs) And on that note, that's our wrap for today's show. Our plan is to do this every week. So if you either want more Giants baseball or more Dodger bashing in your podcast feed, click that subscribe button. Also, since we're just getting started, we'd love for you to give us a rating in the Apple iTunes store. Please, Dodgers fan, keeps the ratings PG appropriate. And uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and send them to us at forthefansbythefans.com. Thanks again to our friends at Fanatics. If you're going to go buy your Giants gear, click the link in our show notes or go to ftfbtf.com slash fanatics, and they'll kick us a couple of bucks to help with the production of this show. Until next time. Give us one more Lasorda. I was going to say, Tom, that deserves at least one more Tommy Lasorda. Tommy, Tommy Lasorda. Lasorda. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, swing and a miss, and that's it.